0: And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com bluewire for a $3 trial set. The Action Network Podcast. 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 If you are even remotely a savage... You'll run these people over in a second. Oh!
1: Welcome into the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. I'm your host, Brendan Glass Sheen, joined by Sean Zarillo and Billy Ward. In this episode, we're breaking down UFC on ABC this weekend from the ViStar Veterans Memorial Arena in Jacksonville, Florida. Five fights on the main card, nine prelims. We dive into everything on the pod. We look at underdogs, props, and more. We finish with best bets. Uh, We'll start with the main event, of course. Uh, Looking at the fight, Zarillo. As I normally ask you, how would you like to bet the, well, first an analysis of the fight, and then how would you like to bet it, please?
2: Yeah, really good fight between Ilya Tapora and Josh Emmett. Um, Should mention off the bat, I might be a little biased, but there's three or four guys in the UFC, three or four male fighters in the UFC, who I think pretty confidently will fight for a belt one day and also wear a UFC belt one day. Ilya Tapori is one of them. The other three, Hamzat Shumayev, Bo Nickel, and Shavkat Rachmanov. Unfortunately, the latter three may end up having to fight each other at some point. So that's why I hedge a little bit by saying I'm pretty confident all of them will hold the belt one day. But the dynamic there with Shavkat, Bo Nickel, and Hamzat potentially all fighting maybe at middleweight at some point, I think makes that really interesting. But going back to this featherweight matchup, how I view it Uh, First off, he's 12, 13 years younger than Josh Emmett. Emmett also was dealing with some injuries in that last fight against Yair Rodriguez. Was finished via submission, which was a bit unexpected considering Yair tends to knock people out. Showed some pretty slick submission skills, but he beat Emmett up. Emmett looked kind of slow, a bit aged. I mean, he is 39, and when you lose fractions of speed at the lower weight classes, as we've discussed before, weight classes, honestly, below 170 uh or even 170 and below we've seen the data with regards to champions over the age of 35 and how they perform in title fights and being 39 years old at featherweight is a detriment uh so tapir should be faster should be more athletic josh emmett hits extremely hard and he tends to land on everybody he is the most knockdowns in featherweight history he has 11 knockdowns and he's put people out cold and Taporia has been wobbled in the past, gotten a firefight with Jai Herbert, wobbled by a head kick, nearly finished, ended up rallying that fight. Taporia is the better fighter. He's more skilled. He has the grappling upside here, but Emmett hits extremely hard. We've seen Taporia get hurt in the past, and Emmett is the better wrestler. So he should be able to counter wrestle, keep things on the feet, I would expect at least early. But if this fight hits the mat, I think Taporia is actually going to finish him pretty quickly with the submission which is why you see this under juiced so aggressively in terms of how I want to bet it if I'm playing the Emmett side Emmett by knockout plus 470 prefer to his money line if he's going to be landing the type of shots he needs to land I would expect him to be able to put to out Emmett round one 12 to one also interesting for the same reasons his effectiveness should wane the longer the fight goes he should carry that power but I think his highest likelihood is finishing it in the first round concerning Taporia, did get wobbled in that Jai Herbert fight he actually though has a pretty methodical approach and good process he doesn't always rush in um you saw the way he handled Ryan Hall taking him to the end of the first round before finishing him the way he sort of dismantled beat up and then submitted Bryce Mitchell he's pretty measured and I don't expect him to look for the finish right away especially in a five round fight never been in a five round fight before. Did show slight cardio concerns in his UFC debut, where he came in on short notice. So, going to be, I would say, relatively cautious early, but I would expect him to look for his openings and then eventually progress and finish Emmett. Tapuri inside the distance too juiced for my liking. I made it about minus two thirty. You could bet it at minus two fifty. Would not play that. I mentioned the Emmett props the way I played puria. I think his first round pl- prop is juice getting it at plus 150, wherever it is, it's too low. Uh, But Toporio, round two, plus 470, round three, 10 to one. I think those are better options, kind of with the way I see the pace playing out, him taking it cautious, feeling out the process for the first couple minutes, and then getting a bit more aggressive in his pursuit of Emmett. So Toporio, round two, round three, sprinkling a little bit of both. And then I'll probably play his money line in parlays as well, a bit to Jen. But, you know, the guys who I view as future champions... I'm going to find ways to bet them until they have that belt around their waist. The guys who I think are fraudulent, who may be viewed as title challengers. I'm going to find ways to fade them on their potential sent up the rankings. So just another one of those, you know, general MMA batting strategy type things I'm going to hold. If I think you're a champion, I'm going to keep betting you. I don't really care what the money long looks like. I'm not going to go and lay minus three fifty straight on Purio, but I'll probably have action tied to some, you know, MLB favorites or, other things that catch my eye on Saturday.
1: All right. Nice tease for the baseball content, which by the way, you can catch these guys in the action app with uh, Billy. Ward's got the your and nerfy. I had to think about how to pronounce your fee, but because often people bet nerfies anyway, um, Billy Ward's got his uh, luck ratings up at actionnetwork.com. He breaks down the card and evaluates if the line is fair or he sees value elsewhere. So Billy with Zarello's analysis in mind, What are you doing for Emmett and Taporia?
3: Yeah, you know, I said in the luck ratings, I wouldn't be surprised if this one moved a little bit more towards Tapuria since Monday, and it has like 20 or 30 cents, nothing crazy. I think we see that a lot with heavy money line favorites where just the sharp money kind of comes in late and pushes the side up a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I did want to correct Sean on something here. Josh Emmett is only 38. Let's give the man a break. He's not quite 39 yet. But (laughs) but, uh, the thesis of that is still very much true, that he's – Pretty old for the division. Hasn't looked great lately, which isn't a good sign. You know, Sean mentioned him having an injury coming into the last fight. Sometimes we use that as an excuse or expect a fighter to get better. But it was only four months ago. So if he had anything too serious, I don't think he's going to be 100% here. The only real angle I see, you know, I'm not betting this one pre-fight. Mostly agree with Sean's analysis. The only angle I see is perhaps uh, I'm at live bet after two or three rounds. As we saw, you know, Topuri has never been in a five-round fight. His only fight that ever went to a decision was his UFC debut, and he did lose the third round on all three judges' scorecards. It was short notice, so I'm not so much denigrating his cardio here. But sometimes guys like that, they don't really have a plan for when they don't finish you. You know, he's finished 12 of his 13 fights. Everyone kind of folds when he hits them or submits them. What happens if that doesn't work? You know, the power, as Sean pointed out, is still an issue in the later rounds, while it might not be quite there for Emmett. Can he land one or two shots in the fourth or fifth round against a tired topuria probably and obviously you know with the live betting we don't have to take the risk of topuria just starching him right away so if this one gets real ridiculous you know Emmett plus 500 plus a thousand whatever after a couple bad rounds i'll probably be going with that but from a pre fight side if you weren't going to take topuria at the lighter money line odds earlier in the week you should, certainly wouldn't now
1: Zerillo, you can take Emmett, the 38 year old and then adam wainwright in london uh at plus 110 the 41 year old adam wainwright and it's not a favorite but you can go two old guys maybe uh maybe an adjusted uh over for that london series
2: where we're gonna get <laughs> a bazillion runs uh the two games that we played there a couple of years ago i believe the average final score finished at about 20 runs combined uh so m- maybe an adjusted total with the Tapuria money line too. Bet against the old guys here on Saturday.
1: Yeah, yeah. Take take the over on the runs in London, but you might want to lean under in the rounds. But it makes the juice on the under rounds in this fight uh, not too bad if you take the over in the uh, London series to make and, the odds you know under. it's
2: and it's like the dynamic of the fight I think is what's really interesting too with in terms of how I'm playing the round props. Uh, I know Dan Stopper, MMA editor. He's playing the fight to start round two. I believe at minus one fifty. That's mm-hmm. a bet I considered making. Um, you know, I, I think the slowest pace is going to come in the early feeling out process. And it's kind of up to his to dictate. We've seen Emmett in these other five round fights with Calvin Cater. He's kind of content to stay on the outside, play that range kickboxing match, land the more impactful shots in each round and doesn't need to get knockouts to win. You know, he gets knocked down to secure rounds or he lands the more impactful punches, but yeah, I think it's up to Tapuria, uh, you know, the type of pace that we're going to see in this fight, which is why I'm hesitant to play the, the unders, the under two and a half, which is juiced up. I'd rather take long shot prop odds in this fight. There's a lot of bets here that are really juiced up. So Emmett knockout plus four, seven, eight, Tapuri, round two, round three, plus four hundred plus one thousand. I, I think those are the best approaches. It's a uh it's a well-lined fight, but something that I think you could justify taking big plus money stabs at.
1: All right. Apologies for the folks that aren't baseball people. We couldn't, we meaning me to a degree. I mean, Zerillo started it, but we couldn't help ourselves. (laughs) It's my fault. Blame me. All right. On to uh, underdogs that we like on the card. 14 fights. As we mentioned, five on the main, nine prelims. Zerillo favorite dog. Is this a good card for underdogs? Generally speaking.
2: Yeah. I love this card for underdogs and I love this card for unders finish props. I think this is going to be a violent card. And I think there's some good plus money opportunities on here. I'm actually going to get out two favorite underdogs in this card because my best bet is also an underdog. But these are the two other underdogs that I'm playing. The first being David Onama against Gabriel Santos. David Onama's last fight against Nate Lambware. We talked about Nate Lamware the last time I was on the pod for the pay-per-view. Onama basically knocked him out twice in the first six minutes um, and then gassed himself out trying to finish. And that is a pretty common outcome when the finish doesn't occur. The guy who over pursues the finish, his cardio falls off of a cliff. We've seen decent cardio from Onama in other fights. I think he just fully cardio dumped there. And if that was a knockout, you know, if if the fight had just ended there and some referees would have stopped it. We've seen Nate Lamb in similar positions get stopped in the past. So if that had been a knockout, what is the line here against Gabriel Santos? It's certainly not plus 200. I think Onama hits harder. He's got a four-inch reach advantage. Yes, Santos has the grappling upside, but that's baked into the line. He's the favorite because he has the grappling upside. If this stays on the feet for extended stretches, it's going to be extremely close. It's probably going to look like a pick fight. Happy to take Onama two to one, especially with the reach advantage. I think he's the better striker, and he certainly hits harder, damage, prioritize damage. With a the crowd there, too, they're going to be cheering for Onama. So give me David Onama two to one. I think this would be closer to a pick Had he won that fight against Landwehr... And then a similar story with Kledson Rodriguez going, um, you know, second fight of the card against Tatsuro Tyra. He did miss weight. Kledson also missed weight in his last fight. So keep that in mind. Cardio third round may not be the best in terms of lasting throughout the fight, but I think he's got the striking advantage here. I think he has a clear power advantage here against Tatsuro Tyra. Tyra is a master of the back take. And when he wins, it's going to look fairly dominant because he's just going to hold his opponents in one position or finish them basically for the entire fight. But if Rodriguez is able to escape out of that position, and we, we talked about a similar dynamic with Raul Rosas Jr. taking the back, right, you know, going into that fight, and is his opponent going to be able to escape that position? Well, he was, and Christian Rodriguez ended up dominating the fight. I think a very similar dynamic here. If Cletson is able to avoid the body triangle, I think he's going to be extremely competitive, if not dominate, especially on the feet. He's got a big power advantage. He reminds me kind of of a young Douglas Silva de Andrade. It's all aggression and craziness and wild explosive techniques, but that's the kind of stuff that is relatively friendly to judges. And again, I'm not sure if this is in Billy's luck ratings piece. I'm curious to hear if it is, but had a split decision loss. to CJ Vergara. was a live favorite at the end of the fight was a live favorite throughout the fight that split loss. If you flip it back to a win, what is the line here? Probably closer to a pick them than two to one. So Kledson Rodriguez at plus two twenty-five against that zero Tyra, David Onama about plus plus one ninety-five. both guys who I think have a grappling deficiency relative to their opponents, but extreme power upside and should have better
1: optics on the feet. Yeah. Thoughts there, Billy. I know uh, Zerulo kind of mentioned those. I don't think you have those in your piece, but any quick thoughts?
3: No, didn't touch on those. One thing I do want to mention based on Sean's analysis um, with, Rodriguez missing weight. A lot of states where if you miss weight, that's just it. The first time you weigh in, that's your official weight. You pay your fine or the fight's canceled or whatever's going to happen, happens. That is not the case in Florida. Florida, like some other places, allows you either a one or two hour window to go back and try to continue to cut weight, which I think that's a huge disadvantage for the fighter that has to do so, especially a fighter like Rodriguez, who missed weight in his last fight and could be in danger of losing his job. He's probably going to really work to get that extra weight off. But that, that's really tough because his opponent is back there with his Pedialyte and his Gatorade and his pasta and whatever he's eating, while Rodriguez is still sitting in a sauna sweating out more for another hour or two. Which also plays in to my favorite underdog, which is Jack Jenkins. He's fighting Jamal Emers. Emers, another guy that missed weight, but chose to take the option of continuing to try to cut rather than forfeit the penalty right away. That was one I did cover. Or I didn't cover it in my luck rankings. I made the tweet saying I thought we got some free CLV on Jack Jenkins. I could not have been more wrong. This one went the exact opposite direction. But I'm honestly surprised. You know, Jack Jenkins, short little stocky featherweight from Australia, used to play rugby. Great cardio, great output. You know, huge shades of Alexander Volkanovsky here, and he's fighting a tall skinny guy in Emmer's. Both have a good wrestling background. And Embers has 100% takedown defense in the UFC, but he was fighting straight grapplers who just telegraphed their shots and made it obvious what they were trying to do. Jenkins has some of the best transitions I've ever seen between striking and grappling. When his opponent steps in with a shot, he changes levels, disguises it like a body punch, puts you on your back, does really good work controlling it. We've also got a huge cardio advantage there. like He just has tremendous output down the stretch of the fight. But the biggest thing is Embers got his knee absolutely shredded by Pat Sabatini a couple fights ago. And he won his fight coming back from that after 18 months, but did not look like the same kind of athlete. Like, rather than being snappy and bouncing in and out of range, he's kind of pawing on stuff. He doesn't quite have that speed and that pop. And you just never know with a fighter like that. Is he ever going to recover? Is he ever going to get that athleticism back? Which makes it really tough for a guy like Jenkins, who's bouncing in and out, huge output, you know, fast feet moving all over the place, bigger cage too. So the injury factor, plus the fact that we have the weight miss, and Emers is probably back there, you know, still trying to sweat while Jenkins is recovering. That's more than enough for me on Jenkins. I was happy to take him at plus 140 earlier in the week. Very excited at the plus 180 we can get now.
2: I just want to mention, I don't have action on this fight, but Jamal Emers was my best bet in his last fight against Kusayn Askabov. He won that fight as a plus 160 underdog. He is exactly the type of guy you bet as a plus 160 to plus 200 underdog. And exactly the type of guy you'd ever touch as a minus 200 favorite. There's plenty of guys like that in the UFC. Jamal Emers got his knee shredded because he made a horrible fight IQ decision and went to the ground with a grappler who he was beating up on the feet. He consistently makes bad decisions in fights. You cannot lay minus 210 on Jamal Emers. He will screw you when you do it. You bet him as an underdog, not as a favorite.
3: I'm glad you mentioned the fight IQ before we move on. Not only did he go to the ground with Pat Sabatini, a mistake in and of itself, but he was trying to ankle lock or foot lock Sabatini while Sabatini had a heel hook. So for any of my other grapplers out there, an ankle lock kind of hurts, but it's probably not going like to ruin your day or damage you that much. And a heel hook, if properly applied, can keep you out of action for 18 months. So that's just never a game. You know, It's it's bringing a knife to a gunfight, which is what he tried to do with one of the best grapplers in the division paid for it, and might never be the same fighter again. So I'm going to bet against him until I'm proven wrong about his athleticism.
2: No, I I agree. I I didn't think he looked like his previous, you know, explosive self in that last fight. So, yeah, probably on paper has the better skills here, and you could justify the favoritism, but with the weight miss, et cetera, maybe Jenkins live bet, you know, that's probably something I'm going to target. Jenkins live after round one, especially after that weight miss.
3: And I know we're belaboring this one a bit long, but better skills so far. Jenkins, he's not that young. I think he's 30. But like Volkanovsky, he was a professional rugby player into his 20s. So like his skills could and should still be improving. Obviously, we don't want to bet too hard on a guy getting better, but it's a safer bet for a guy who's, you know, somewhat new to the sport.
1: Jack Jenkins just turned 30 in March. There you go.
0: Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash blue wire. That's harrys.com slash blue wire for a $3 trial set.
1: More analysis of Jenkins again in the written portion of our breakdown over at Action Network, Billy Ward's luck ratings for UFC down in Jacksonville on to the fight of the night. You got Trevor peak taking on machine gun Mariscal. That's the fight we're looking at uh, for the fight of the night. Uh, it's a, very tight line, Zarillo, right now looking at FanDuel. Yeah, it's basically a pick 'em. You got Peak at minus 114, Mariscal at minus 106. How do you want to bet this one? Yeah, Trevor Peak, fight week. Uh,
2: incredibly odd, but exciting fighter. Trevor Peak fights like he's in a movie about MMA. It's the best way I could describe <laughs> it. He fights like you told an actor you're going to be an MMA superstar. We're not going to give you any training. What do you think you should do? uh the running tomahawk fist incredible never seen that in an octagon before and that unorthodox nature does make him difficult to prepare for now Chepe I think is the better fighter I think that's almost indisputable actually that he's the more skilled MMA fighter Went and 0 as an amateur has arguably the best strength of schedule I've ever seen for a guy coming in off the regional scene I mean, he's faced seven UFC veterans, has wins over multiple, but Gregor Gillespie, Bryce Mitchell, Pat Sabatini, Yusuf Zalal, Steve Garcia, Joe Anderson, Brito, all legit UFC fighters. Not like low level went, you know, 0-3 and dumped from the UFC. All guys who have multiple wins, I believe, in the UFC. But he's moving up from 145, taking this fight on short notice against the guy in Trevor Peak, who is very much killer be killed, but also has the hardware to back it. Peak hits harder, has more durability. Chepe either needs to play the outside kickboxing game and outpoint him over 15 minutes, or probably find a way to either club and sub him or grapple and submit him. Uh, do not expect that from a fighter whose nickname is Machine Gun. Expect him to jump right into the fire exchange. And I think somebody falls pretty quickly. So the under one and a half super juiced up here at minus 175, I think you could justify it given the pace that I expect to see the short notice nature of Chepe coming in here, probably going to look for the kill early and Trevor peak. This is his first time. I believe fighting in front of a crowd for the UFC. Uh, I think, you know, he won on contender series and then his last fight, I believe was also in the apex. Was it not? So, going to be looking for a kill as well uh yeah both fights for peak were in the apex so yeah i I think the crowd is gonna force just an insane pace here um and given the lack of defense on peak side the lack of care it's just it's so likely that this finishes unless you know they they both show zombie chins for seven and a half minutes and that seems unlikely so the fight to end inside the distance is super juiced but i think if it occurs it's going to occur early
1: Billy, how do you want to bet this one? Are you into yeah. Trevor Peak?
3: Uh I'm not betting Trevor Peak. Allegedly, and I heard this listening to uh, or watching some tape on him, his pro debut, somebody said, do you want to go have a fight or whatever? And he was surprised to show up to an arena because he thought someone meant like in an alley somewhere, which tells you a lot about his fighting style. He's, oh, you mean like an actual fight with gloves, not just some guys. But uh. And also eight UFC fighters on Marsical's record. He also fought Carl Deaton, who's Mm -hmm. 0-1 in the UFC. So, you know, it doesn't quite count. But eight of his, I believe, 19 pro fights came against future or past UFC contenders, which is just ridiculous. But I'm actually playing it the other way. You can get Marsical in round three or by decision at plus 410. I also like, you know, some SGPs if you have that available and over low minutes to get him up to plus money. If I'm Marsicle's camp here, my whole plan is just wait out whatever craziness and running hammer fists we're going to see from Trevor Peak. maybe try to stick him up against the fence, take him down, just kind of ride out that storm, because there's no way Trevor Peak can do that for 15 minutes. I was shocked that he did it for five minutes, getting the finish at the end of round one in his last fight. So, yeah, Marsicle's an aggressive fighter. Yeah, he's coming in on short notice. But if he has any kind of preparation for this one, that should be the plan. Whether you actually execute that plan, whether the excitement gets to be too much for you is a different question. But the round three or decision line is plus 410, which is like prop squad style odds, which I'm really surprised by. Because I do think peak is probably the side early in this one with Marsco coming late. And if you want it a little bit less juicy, you know, take it round two and beyond at plus 175 or so via SGP. I like that as well. Good card for underdogs, good card for live
2: betting as well. I mean, Mariscal, yeah. easy live bet after round one, given a peak fight. So, just Jenkins, happen Jose Mariscal, like- I, I have like six live bet opportunities on this card. I think it's really good card for live betting.
3: I hesitated on the live bet on this one just because it's happening at like 1 Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific time. So, I don't want to, you know, the main event, I go, okay, you guys should be watching by then. But this is starting pretty early.
1: Okay, good to keep in mind. Again, to follow the, we'll talk about this. We always talk about this, but follow these guys in the Action Network app because if they're adding stuff live, that is when you want to be in the app when you can see when picks are being made. Uh, On to the prop market, Zerillo. What do you like for this week? Yeah, a
2: lot of finish props on this card for me as well. Um, And probably my favorite amongst them is Randy Brown and Wellington Turman to end inside the distance. You could get that at Minus 175, I projected it closer to minus 200. Terman moving down here from 185 pounds. He has a wonky chin. So does Randy Brown. Brown has a six-inch reach advantage. And with Terman moving down from middleweight, Brown should have a pretty severe speed advantage as well. Uh, I like Randy Brown quite a bit as fighter. I think Billy does too. He's just really fun to watch. Smooth movements but he puts himself in danger too with the way he exits the pocket tends to rely on head movement as opposed to actually protecting himself so he's capable of getting caught as he exits uh but also Terman and Brown both are very slick submission grapplers as well um we've seen Terman getting beat up in the past pulling a arm bar off of his back against Misha Serkinov Brown is able to club and sub people lock in things so There's a lot of ways this fight finishes. Both guys are pretty violent in terms of their style. Even though Brown's a bit more slick, I'd say he's the better point fighter of the two. But if he's connecting on Terman, I think he's going to wobble him and hurt him. Um, I think it's less likely Terman clips him and knocks him out, but I could certainly see a submission from Terman. So a finish on either side seems extremely likely. Love the fight to end inside the distance here. And then I'm also going to target Randy Brown, five after round one, because Terman moving down in weight, Going from 185 to 170, he's a bit chubby at middleweight. You know, maybe 170 better suited for him. But regardless, he never had the best cardio at middleweight. And I don't think it's going to improve going down to welterweight. So fight 10 inside the distance and also Randy Brown live after round one. Maybe I'll consider Brown inside the distance in some uh, round Robins as well.
1: Billy, what do you got for prop play UFC Jacksonville?
3: Real quick on Sean's, it always cracks me up when a guy goes down a weight class, and they're like, oh, cool, you know, I won't be outsized in this new weight class. Maybe I'll have a reach advantage. And then the UFC just gives them the biggest guy they can find at the lower weight class. Like, you might as well stay at middleweight if you're going to fight 6'11 Randy Brown. He's not really that tall, but you guys know what I'm saying. But, uh, yeah, this is one I'm looking at, and this is going to be awful on the pronunciation. I'm sorry. Matosh Rebeki versus Loik Uh, This is one that I wrote That's up. That's pretty
1: good. It was, pretty, it
3: was very yeah, good. It was pretty good. <laughs> no, don't, don't try it again. Just keep going. <laughs> yeah, that was it. We're going nicknames from here on out. But um, <laughs> yeah, I wrote up this fight at the Action Network. You can see more of the technical analysis there. I went into this one watching tape fully prepared to try to pick a side. And then I couldn't believe when I saw the under two and a half was plus 150 or so. I think it's a little bit of sportsbooks overfitting the model here because both of their UFC debuts ended in a decision. But it wasn't for lack of trying, right? Both these guys come out, and they just swing for the fences. I don't think I saw a single jab between either of them. So if you know any boxers in your life and you want to watch this fight with them, it'll drive them crazy. They'll be so mad. And then both guys have really good wrestling. Rebeki has a lot better fight IQ in top game. Like, he's happy to settle into a good position. Kind of, He did a lot of the Habib thing where he lets you start to get back up and then pulls you back down. Radzibov just goes for takedown after takedown and then tries to kill you while you're down there, which usually gives you a chance to get back up. Both of which I think is going to play out nicely for at least one, if not both of these guys, to be extremely gassed. They were both able to get takedowns and use that as kind of a rest in their last fight. But if either of them defends the other one's takedown, somebody's cardio is going to crack real soon here. And just with how violent and how heavy they both throw, I think someone ends up getting wobbled, shoots for a takedown. If it's not there, gets finished. If it is there, you know, I expect Rebecca to be able to get back up and keep putting the pace on him or reds above to finish him on the ground with his aggression there. So, I like the Rebecca side a little bit, but not nearly as much as the unders as Sean's pointed out, just a great week for fights to end inside the distance underdog, stuff like that.
2: Rebecca live after round one, Radzibov missed weight. I already thought Rebecca had slightly better cardio and with the weight miss for Radzibov, certainly going to look for Rebecca live after round one. So that's, I believe live bet number five for me, I'll, I'll give out my other two when we get to best bets. It's it's a great card for live betting.
3: I'm not confident Rebecca has better cardio in like, I'd bet on him to win in a marathon against Radzibov, <laughs> like a running marathon, but his fight IQ and the way he sticks you up against the fence and uses that as a rest when he's tired is just so much higher than Radzibov, who even when dead tired is just swinging for the fences and trying to finish. And I don't care how good a shape you're in, you can only do that for so long. And I just love the Habib move of like, let you get most of the way up and suck you back down while I'm Mm -hmm. resting from Rebecca. So he's definitely, I think he will win the cardio war. I don't necessarily think that's because he's in better shape, but it doesn't really matter when we're betting on it. If he's fresher, he's fresher. I'm a big fan of Matt returns in MMA. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, Zarilla, we have arrived at best bets, final bets, they're all best bets in our eyes. What do you what what but which one to you stands out right now before the card goes live?
2: Yeah, yeah Cedric Dumas +155, it is my favorite bet. I didn't necessarily increase my stake on it or anything because I think he's going to be a phenomenal bet live after round 1. I actually think he's the best live bet on this card on a card full of great live bets. My final live bet by the way, Brendan Allen live after round 1 in his fight against Bruno Silva. Just want to throw that out there because I've given out the rest of them. Uh, But Cedric Dumas against Cody Brundage, similar matchup in terms of stylistically to what Dumas faced in his UFC debut against Josh Fremd, except for the fact that Fremd actually has decent cardio and Cody Brundage falls off a cliff after three to five minutes. Dumas also has a seven-inch reach advantage here. I think he's more skilled everywhere aside from pure wrestling And Brundage doesn't really do a ton with his wrestling other than sort of hold people down. So if he's able to stay safe, survive any submission attempt from Brundage, avoid getting clipped early, I think Dumas takes over here in the second and third rounds at a significant clip. So live after round one, think a great bet. You might get a better line than you will get pre-fight. But Brundage is literally going to collapse if Dumas is still alive after five minutes. I think it's very likely Dumas finishes him. Dumas by KO plus 310 interests me. He's got a really good guillotine though. So I could see Brundage getting tired, shooting a sloppy takedown attempt and putting his head right into a choke. So it would not go heavy on the knockout prop. If you play that, would include that in a round robin. Just take Dumas by money line straight up plus
1: 155 and then live after round one. Billy, your final bet or best bet or a bet that you're going to make and watch too. I always (laughs) like that analysis or thought.
3: This is a tough one. So many of the bets that I really, really like fit into other categories. So I was kind of struggling here. Definitely going to watch this one just because I love both fighters. But Amanda Hibis by decision at plus 105. I think is this the co event or is the one right before? But co-main. one of the co Um two of the better grapplers in the female division. You know, Hibis is a double black belt in judo and jujitsu. I think judo is the most underrated skill set for mixed martial arts, because unlike jujitsu, where you spend time playing off your back, judo is all about getting on top, all about holding top position, which is great for winning minutes. Right. So I think she's going to have the ability to take Barber down here. She'll probably get clipped a little bit on the way in, and the money line has just gotten way too far here on a fighter in Hibis who doesn't really finish anyone. And Barber doesn't really get finished. You know, she made it through with a torn ACL against Macy Barber made it all 15 minutes So this is one of those where if you think Hebus is going to win, you might as well at the very least take the round 3 or decision at Slight Juice or the decision specifically at Plus Money. Because if she wins this one, I don't see her just starching Barber early. And, you know, the money line is pretty heavy now.
2: I Actually, kind of like Rebus by Sub. Uh, And I I bet the fight to end Inside the Distance as well. We've seen Rebus get clipped in the past. Barber fights absolutely insane, especially in the second or third round. She really picks up her pace. So I could see her... Getting sort of aggressive, you know, attritional base stoppage, maybe late, but I think Rebus very live for a submission here. Uh, Barber gets taken down three, four times in every fight she faces a grappler. So I think Rebus is going to have, as you said, position on top, but I think she's going to have opportunities to finish as well. So maybe a submission or decision line. I think a knockout's fairly unlikely, but submission or decision could be a good way to play her. Uh, but in, in a round robin, I'll probably have Rebus by submission plus 500.
3: I could see that the one thing that kept me back from that is since her split decision loss to Chukagian, she's came out and said, like, she wants to win minutes. She's realized that that's a part of the game. And Barber's just a competent enough grappler that unless she's totally gassed in the third round, which, you know, if you play the three or decision line or, you know, over certain minutes SGPs, there's other ways to include both of those if you agree with Zerlo's analysis. All righty,
1: folks. Remember, this card starts in the morning on yeah. Saturday at 11.30 a.m. So when Zerillo puts uh, Wayne Wright and Emmett, and he makes that bet that I suggested early, I'm joking, um, be be up and at it, because, well, he he, he didn't say no. So maybe yeah, he will. <laughs> um, so 11.30 start for the prelims. Main card starts at 3 o'clock on ABC. ESPN ABC is your coverage for UFC Jacksonville. And all joking aside, you can find coverage uh, from these guys as well on the baseball front. Uh, London series, Nerfie, your fee for the weekend and also any games going on tomorrow after the London game at one o'clock. So uh, for Sean Zarillo, Billy Ward, Brendan Glassheen, thanks for tuning in everybody to the UFC betting preview here on the action network podcast presented by FanDuel. You all have a tremendous weekend. Enjoy the card and we will talk to you again next week.
0: Action network reminds you, please gamble responsibly.